It is so good to see you. I appreciate this opportunity that we have to just do church together. I want you to know that. I don't take that for granted. Now, listen, did you enjoy the music this morning? Did you like that last old song? Did you like that song? Now, believe this or not, right after I became a Christian, my pastor asked me to sing in church in front of the whole congregation. And that's the song I chose. That's the song I did. You ask, how did you do? I was absolutely awesome. (laughs) Never have understood why my pastor never asked me to do that again. Started a new sermon series last week entitled, God Is... God is what? Good question. For six Sundays, we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to discover six words we can use to describe God. Now, why are we doing this? It is very simple. At the conclusion of this series, it is my hope, aspiration, and prayer that we all know God just a little better than we did when this series began. That's simple. Last week, from the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 11, we had discovered our first word, listening. God is listening. Now today, we want to discover our second word and where we're going to find it. I think we're going to find it in Numbers, chapter 11. I want to go back to that story again. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of the story, and then we've got some verses to read. We're kind of tracking the journey of a group of people who are called the Israelites. And they're en route through a harsh desert headed toward a land that God is giving them. It's a beautiful land, fruitful land, and they have been en route for the better part of a year. And during this journey, they've experienced multiple hardships It's not been easy on them. There have been water shortages, food shortages. They were attacked once. Uh, There had been complaining, fault-finding. Tempers had flared. But all in all, God had been faithful to the Israelites. In time, he turned every one of their hardships into a blessing. And, uh, you know, he had provided, in the middle of nowhere, he had provided water. In the middle of a desert, he had provided water for them. And now he's miraculously providing bread for them or food for them every day. Now the people have grown weary of the bread and they're starting to complain about it and they want meat. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up today. And I want us to start reading Numbers chapter 11, verse number 13. I remind you, these words are part of a prayer Moses is praying to God, and this is something that he asked God. So verse number 13. Moses asked God, where am I I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me, saying, give us meat to eat. Did you notice the last statement ends with an exclamation point? And so apparently some of the Israelites, perhaps representatives of one of the uh, of leadership, they've come to Moses and they have demanded angrily that he provide these people with meat 
to eat. That kind of amazes me. You know, I, I, guess if, I guess I would have imagined it would have gone down differently. I would have pictured maybe leaders from each tribe meeting with Moses and saying, now Moses, you know we got ourselves a dilemma with, the, with our diet. All we ever get here is bread. You wake up in the morning, you automatically know what's for breakfast. We're getting bread. You get with your buddies at lunch and you go to the cafe. They don't even give you a menu anymore. You already know what they're going to bring you. They're bringing you bread. Somebody invites you over to supper. You know what you're going to have. You're going to have... Moses, we can't take it much more. Look, you're a part of this. You're eating bread three times a day, snacking on bread. It's always bread. Uh, we, is there anything you can do? Can you, this, is, I, this is where I thought it would go down. Is there anything we can do? I mean, Moses, you're in charge. Is there anything you can do? I mean, is, is, can we put our heads together here? Can we work together on this is it, and, and find a possible solution? No, I didn't have So if that's not going to happen, I kind of imagine going down like this. Representatives from the tribes come. They sit down with Moses. They go, Moses, it's obvious to everybody here that you've got some kind of connection with God. You talk to God, you ask him things, he does things. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, I want you to understand, Moses, we're very grateful for the bread. If it weren't for the bread, we'd be starving to death. We're just tired of the bread. So, you know, God's providing the bread, so if he can provide bread, surely he can provide meat. So if you thought about Moses talking to him, why don't you ask him on our behalf if he would give us some meat to go with our bread? You'd think that's the way this would go down. It's not the way it happened. Apparently somebody showed up in Moses' office. And can you picture this scene? They're red-faced, veins bulging. They put their finger in Moses' face and say, Fix this! You're in charge! We've got a problem! You need to fix this! You need to make something happen! You need to provide us with meat to go with our bread! Now, if you're Moses, how do you respond to that? Well, apparently Moses responded by taking responsibility for it I believe that he looked at it like this these are the people I'm supposed to lead this is a need they perceive this is a problem they perceive to have I am in charge they brought it to me then I guess I'm responsible to make this happen I really believe that Moses took that responsibility on himself you say why is that well when he prayed to God he said God how am I supposed to provide these people with And I believe that once he placed that responsibility upon himself, he began to try to figure out how he was going to make this happen. You say, what makes you think that? Well, for one thing, I know, and I'm going to prove this in just a minute, he had a census taken of the soldiers. He wanted to know how many soldiers he's got. And the census revealed he had 600,000 foot soldiers. You know what I think he's doing, Tom? He's trying to get an approximation. How many people am I going to have to provide this meat for? If i got 600,000 men that kind of in this age bracket, they're old enough to serve, then uh, how many people does that kind of tell me that I've got? And I believe a good estimate would have been about 2 million. So I believe that he did this because he's trying to figure out, how am I going to do this? So let's start with this. How many people have I got to feed? Then I really believe he inventoried their livestock. How many cows, goats, sheep, so on and so forth? And I'm going to be able to prove that in just a minute. 
And I believe the reason he did this is he's trying to determine, you know, how great is the need? What are my resources? What have I got to work with here? And so I've got basically this number of people. I've got this amount of meat on hand. And, and okay, if I butcher it all, you know, is that, how long is that going to last? Uh, you know, if we have to spare some, how many do you spare that would, you know, make sure that you've got livestock in the future? And I believe the man is absolutely racking his brain, trying to figure out how he's going to do this. And I believe that as he did, pressure was mounting. I believe as he crunched the numbers, he'd go, that don't work. He, you know, he diagrams this, he gets a chart, oh, that won't work. And, it, and he just keeps going through this process of trying to figure out what to do. And over and over again, he realizes that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. And I believe pressure is building. I mean, after all, he feels responsible. Now, knowing these people the way that most of us do, having read their story from the Bible over and over again, do you think that once they demanded that he provide them with meat, they just left him alone? You think they did that? I don't think they did that. I believe that while he is racking his brain trying to figure this thing out, I believe he's getting phone calls, he's, he's getting voicemails, texts, emails with people who were pressuring him to come across with this meat, man. Can you imagine, late at night, he's, he's sitting there, he's disheveled, man, he is just, all day long, he's looked at this situation and what he's going to do, and he checks his emails, and there's an email, and somebody says, oh, Moses, just want to touch base with you, kind of wondering, where are we at on this meat project? Huh? Could, do you think you could give us a timeline? What is the projected date that we can begin to pass under our people that they're going to be able to have meat with their bread? Uh, the passive-aggressive kind. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe he checks a text one day and somebody says, Yeah, while you're determining what you're going to do, remember this, we don't do pork. You understand what I'm saying? These were Jews. They didn't eat pork. And I believe they wanted to make sure that he understood pigs will definitely not be a part of this solution. No hams, no pork chops, and worst of all, Billy, no barbecue. I can't imagine that. One day he checks a message, and there it is. It's going, oh, yeah, you know, look, uh, just wanted you to know that when we were in Egypt, we really, really loved the fish there. And they've already mentioned this, and so I know we're in the middle of a desert, but Moses' fish would be the preferred meat. Is there any way you think you could provide us with fish out here in the desert? Because that's what we'd all... Re- I just imagined that they were heaping it on, and he's already sweating bullets, and, and they're wanting to know when it's coming, and they're putting all these demands on him until absolutely Moses came to a boiling point. He couldn't handle the pressure anymore, and he went into his prayer closet, got along with God, and had an emotional eruption. You say, what do you mean by that? He blew up all over God. And he said, God, how am I supposed to do this? Verse 18, 19, and 20, God answered him very clearly. And he said, Moses, I don't want you to do this. I don't even want you to try. I'll do this. You know what he's saying? Moses, this is way out of your pay grade. This is not what you do. This is what I do. I don't want you to worry with it anymore. I'll do it. I'll provide meat for two million people. And then he said, not just enough for a meal, 
I'll give them enough meat that they can have meat every meal. Breakfast, meat with the bread. Lunch, we got meat. Supper, meat. Nighttime snack, go to the fridge, get meat. He said, I'll do this. They're going to have meat all day long, not for a day or a week, but for 30 days I'll provide enough meat for 2 million people to have meat every meal. Now, if you're Moses, how do you respond to that? Because his response kind of blows my mind. Look at verse number 21. But Moses responded to the Lord, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. How would he know that? You know why? He had had a census taken. I told you. He said, and yet you say, now he's quoting God, I will give them meat for a whole month. Verse 22, he said, even if we butchered all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? How would he know that? He had already inventoried his resources. Of course, the next statement is just pure sarcasm. He said, even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Do you understand what Moses is saying to God, I hear what you're saying. I just find it difficult to believe. I got you. You're going to do this. Problem is, I don't see how that could happen. I think that's pretty far-fetched. So what does God say to Moses? Look at verse 23. I love this. This is kind of our, this is our go-to verse for the morning. Then the Lord said to Moses, Has my arm lost its power? That's kind of a little rebuke there, isn't it? He expected more from Moses. He expected Moses to believe him. And then he says, now you will see whether or not my word comes true. I feel like, you know, can, let me just kind of just, this is just my imagination, but I, I can imagine God responding to Moses and going, what? You don't, you're having trouble believing me? Uh, Moses, have you forgotten that I turned the entire Nile River into blood? And you saw that? You saw me do that? Have you thought about this? The Nile River is over 4,000 miles long. And on average, it's two miles wide. And God turned every drop of it into blood one day, and Moses saw God do that. And here God going, you saw that, didn't you? Can you imagine God saying, Moses, you saw me turn every speck of sand in the nation of Egypt into a gnat and pester the Egyptians to death with them. And I believe I've been on a few hunting trips where I've had God do the same thing. You saw me turn every grain of sand into a gnat in Egypt. Moses, when you guys had your backs against the Red Sea, you saw me part it, separate it, hold it up in two walls of water, and you watched as two million people walk through to safety all the way to the other side. You saw me do that. Moses, you watched as the last Israelite stepped out in safety and, and the last Egyptian soldier stepped in between those two walls of water with one slick, quick move. I closed the sea back 
and in doing so destroyed the most powerful army on the face of the planet. Moses, you saw me do that. Moses, you've seen me bring water, enough water for a nation out of a solid rock. Every morning you wake up, the ground is covered in bread. You're seeing this? How could you not believe me? This is what God is asking. You think I'm losing my power? You think I'm losing my grip here, son? He said, you're about to see what I can do. You know, from the NRT, the New Redneck Translation, it reads like this. God said, watch this. Look what happened. Verse number 31. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall out around the camp. For how far? Miles. In every direction. There were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. I believe they went over their limit. So no one gathered less than 50 bushels. God said, I'll do it. Moses said, I'd like to see it. God said, well, watch this. And he did it. From this story... We're looking for a word that will help us know God better. And for me, that word would be able. God is able. The people placed a huge demand on Moses. They wanted meat to become a regular part of their diet. And they wanted Moses to make that happen. Moses, acting as any responsible leader would do, he took that challenge to heart. He took upon himself the responsibility to meet the demands of these people. After much consideration and under great pressure, Moses finally went to God and admitted, I don't know how to do this. How can this be done? God replied, I'll do it. I'll give them meat to eat every meal for a solid month. Through this ordeal, I'm sure Moses was reminded that God is able. God is able to do what we cannot do. And folks, let's face it, we're human beings, and as human beings, greatly limited. God can do what we cannot do. What's impossible for us is possible with God. Where our ability ends, God's ability begins. God is able. Just how able. I want you to read a verse with me. It's found in the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20. The Apostle Paul says, Now all glory to God who is... See that? How able. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish... What's that word? Infinitely. Come on, say that. Infinitely. You got it. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. God can do infinitely more than we can by ourselves or all together. God can do infinitely more than we can ask. God can do infinitely more than we can even imagine. You ask Ronnie, what does it mean to me? 
It means you'll never have a need that God can't meet. You'll never face a problem that God cannot solve. You'll never be presented with a challenge that God cannot meet. You will never enter into a battle that God cannot win. God is able. With that truth in our minds, I'm strongly suggesting that we do something. I'm suggesting that we stop trying and start trusting. Now, I'm not advocating for complete irresponsibility here. So I want to explain myself, okay? Moses was facing an impossibility. He couldn't provide meat for these people. On his best day, Lisa, he couldn't provide meat for them. It was an impossible task. Unfortunately, at first, he didn't pick up on that. So he tried to figure out how to do the impossible. He looked high and low for a way to make the impossible happen. Where did it get him? Almost in the nut house. Moses was frustrated, overwhelmed, angry, and miserable. As a matter of fact, taking responsibility for impossibility brought Moses to a, to a real emotional breakdown and the point that he was resigning not only from his prophetic duties, his leadership duties, but from the human race. As a part of this resignation process, Moses talked with God. In the course of that conversation, the light came on in Moses' mind. Look at verse number 14. We're going to put it on the screen. Moses said to God, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. I want you to notice that Moses started that sentence with two words. What are they? I can't. At last Moses got it. He realized, I'm facing an impossibility here. After investing only God knows how much time and energy trying to figure out how to do the impossible, Moses finally accepted the fact that he couldn't make this happen. He just wasn't able. So what do you think he did? With all my heart, I believe he just stopped trying. He recognized it. On my best day, I'll never figure this out. I'm not going to try anymore. On my best day, I can't make this happen. So I'm not going to try anymore. Recognizing that this was an impossibility, Moses took the matter to God. And through prayer, he took the impossibility out of his hands, his own hands. And he placed the impossibility where it should have been all along. In God's hands. Over the course of our lives, we will face impossibilities. Problems we, we can't solve. Period. Battles we can't win. Challenges we'll never be up to. The problem is sometimes we're so much like Moses and we're slow to pick up on the fact that this is an impossibility. I can't do this. So you know what we do? We take responsibility for the impossibility. We take it upon ourselves to figure out what to do. We stay up at night, walk the floors, wringing our hands, 
analyzing the situation from every possible angle. We talk with person after person, telling the whole story. Now, what would you do here? And how would you handle this? And, and how can I make this happen? Over and over, we try to make something happen, and every time it results in failure. We put great pressure on ourselves, and time, we're like Moses, frustrated, confused, exhausted, angry, and absolutely miserable. You know why? We're trying to do something we can't do. When you come to the point where you recognize clearly that you are trying to do something that's impossible for you to do, here's what I'm encouraging. Stop trying. Stop. Stop trying to figure it out. You can collect all the data you want to collect. You can make all the charts and the diagrams. You can crunch the numbers. You can do everything you want to do. And you do not have the capacity to figure out the impossible. Stop trying to make it happen. You can try over and over again. You can change your approach. You can recruit help. You can enlist people to join in with you. And I'll tell you something. You can try to do the impossible if you want, but you never will be able to. When facing an impossibility, we've got to accept the fact that we are not able. And what do you do? You go to God. You talk to Him. And like Moses, you admit it. I can't do this. I'm not able. Two of the most liberating words in the English language are, I can't. We must admit this to God and then turn the responsibility or this impossibility over to Him. Why? Our God is able. Where our ability ends, His is only beginning and God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with Him. When faced with an impossibility, we must stop trying and we must start trusting. I want you to take a look at verse number 21 again. Guys, hang with me. I'm just about through. Verse number 21 Moses, but Moses responded to the Lord, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me, and yet you say, now notice, he's quoting God, and what did God say? I will give them meat for a whole month. Did you notice the first two words that God spoke? He said, I will. Moses admitted, I can't. I'm telling you, in just a moment, God said, I will. God not only told Moses that he could do the impossible, he assured him he would do the impossible. Now, once God promised Moses, I'm going to take care of this, how many more times do we read of Moses sitting down and trying to figure out how to make this happen? None. Once God promised him, I'll take care of this, how many more times do we read of Moses praying, Oh, God, please give him me deep? None. Why not, Ronnie? I believe Moses took God at his word and never gave this issue or this matter another thought. Moses stopped trying and he started trusting. It's not enough to admit we're facing an impossibility and then prayerfully place it in God's hands. We must leave it in God's hands and that takes faith. 
At some point after we say, I can't, we're probably going to hear God say, I will. At some point after we ask, God, will you take this? You're going to hear him say, I got this. When that happens, we've got to take God at his word. We've got to trust him. When you really trust him with a matter, the pressure subsides. The stress diminishes. When you really trust him, you can check that impossibility off of your to-do list. And you can move on with your life. You know why some of you have stalled out in your spiritual growth? You know why your life feels like it's on hold? You spend all your time trying to figure out how to do something that's impossible for you to do. You spend a lot of your time trying to make something happen that you could never make happen. You're stuck. When you finally come to the point, you go, I can't, but God can. So God, here it is. You take it. And you trust him with it. And you walk away and you don't go back for it. You can move on with your life. You can move on to what's next. When we trust God, we'll see him do things that he alone can do. God is able. So let's stop trying and let's start trusting. Now I understand that some of you came into this church today and you are experiencing incredible pressure. You're under an almost unbearable load of stress. I hope that sometime in this sermon the light went on in your mind and you realize why. You're faced with a legitimate impossibility. And you've been racking your brain trying to figure out how to do something that's impossible for you to do. You've exhausted yourself with multiple efforts of making something happen that you could never make happen on your best day. That you have really come face to face with an impossibility. For some of you, it's in the context of your marital relationship. And your marriage has sustained so much damage that there's no way for you to fix it. It's come to the point of impossibility. You need to recognize that. And you need to take that responsibility and you need to give it to God. And say, if it's ever going to be repaired, you're going to have to do it. For some of you, it's your finances. For some of you, it may be in regard to your health. For some of you, the impossibility you face is on your job or it has something to do with the business you've started. But as I prepared for this, this this is what I sensed. That for a lot of us, the impossibility is a person. There's somebody in our world that we're worried sick over. They're in a pattern of self-destructive behavior. And you've thought long and hard. you've, You've analyzed this to death. What could you possibly do to change them? You've tried 
one thing after another after another. Man, I think this will work. This, you know. And they're no different. And you're frustrated and you're confused and you're exhausted. You know why? It is impossible for us to change another human. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Whatever your impossibility is, get it out of your hands and get it into God's. You turn that over to him and you trust him with it. You move on. What God wants you to do today is take away that pressure that you came here under and he wants you to leave here with peace. Peace. That at last, this is in the hands of God. And he, what did, what did God say to Moses? Did he say, I could if I wanted, you know, I maybe. What did he say? I will. I really believe that there are people here and you need to humbly admit to God, I, I can't. You can't. You do that, and many of you are going to hear God say to you what he said to Moses. Yeah, I can, and I will. you got to trust him with it. And so as we close today, I want to invite everyone here just to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to have a time of prayer. Many of you have recognized very clearly I'm exactly where Moses was. This situation, this issue, it's an impossibility for me. And trying to figure this out and trying to handle it is killing me. I'm going to let it go today. I'm getting this out of my hands. I'm turning this over to God and I'm putting it in His hands. I'm leaving it here today. I'm leaving it here with Him. And I'm moving on. I feel compelled that I need to open up this altar. And if you're here today and you're ready to get an impossibility out of your hands and into his, I want to invite you to come. Would you come? You're ready to get an impossibility out of your hands and into his hands. I'm going to ask you to slip out of your seat and come to this altar. If you're carrying a person on your heart, you'd love to see them changed. You've exhausted everything you've known to do, everything you've known to try. Nothing has worked. I'm telling you what, you want to get that person out of your hands into his hands. I want you to come, and I want you to prayerfully place them in God's hands. Anybody else? you got a situation, problem, dilemma, challenge. you got a person. There's something, but you see it now. I'm in the emotional state that I'm in. I'm worn out, confused, struggling, and I see why now. I've been trying to do something that only God could do here, but no more God as of today. It's yours. Take it, take it, Lord. Anybody else? Why don't you come on? You want to you get rid of that impossibility? In this prayer, why don't you just say this to God? I can't. God, if nothing else, I've recognized today. I'm facing some things that I've taken responsibility for some things. I, I can't do it. I can't figure it out. can't do it. 
mama heart. I believe you can. So I'm giving my impossibility to you. Believing that you will. God, help me trust you. Take it your word. To the degree that I walk out of here, this is not on my shoulders anymore. It never will be again. I want to trust you. Lord, as you showed, as you told Moses, just watch what I do. God, I want to see you do something great. Something miraculous. I want to see you do something with my impossibility that blows my mind. Father, thank you so much for caring about us. I I guess, Lord, in some ways we need to apologize. Why do we carry an impossibility around so long? And not just quickly turn that over to you. I don't know. But I thank you, God, that you're active in our lives. You're involved in our lives. You're willing to take problems, solve them, needs and meet them, battles and fight them. Of course, you know, God, as the pastor of this fine group of people, you know my prayer. I want them to walk out of here not burdened. I want them to be at peace. I want the joy to come back in their life. I don't want them to worry about these things anymore. I want them to trust you with it. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here today. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon and a great week. You're dismissed.